invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we've come to probably one of the most familiar uh, passages of Scripture, other than probably John 3.16 and uh, a number of others, but Romans 12 and verses 1 and 2 uh, are very, very familiar, oft-quoted verses. And so tonight we want to look at uh, just these two verses tonight. Thus far in our study of the book of Romans, we found that chapters in 1 through 8 were doctrinal. Chapters 9 through 11 are dispensational. And chapters 12 now through 16 will be that of duty. And we come to a section that is often called shoe leather Christianity. Uh, it's a section where the feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. Early in Romans, we touched on sanctification, which dwelt with the character of the Christian. And now we want to focus on the conduct of the believer. And we looked at the inner man. Now we want to look at the outward man. And we saw who the believer is. And now we will look at what he does. In chapters 12 through 13, it uh, deals with transformation. Chapters 14 and 15 deal with exhortation and chapter 16, uh, salutation. Now we, uh, as I said, we've come to two very familiar, off-quoted verses. Many times we've heard these verses preached about. Uh, They've been quoted in messages. They've been used in writing about the holy life. And we want to look at them tonight and see if God won't teach us something maybe we didn't know before or remind us of something that we may have forgotten. So first of all, we notice the plea to the brethren. Verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Now the word beseech is from a word, the Greek word parakleo, and it means to beg, to call alongside in order to help or give aid. Now, again, I'm not trying to impress you with Greek knowledge because I have about that much, all right? But the word is interesting in the, in the Greek. It's the noun form of this word is parakletos, which means comforter, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And we're familiar perhaps with that part of the word para which is often used with other things uh, in our English language, like parachute. You know, that's the, the, the chute that comes alongside of you, so to speak, to help you get safely to the ground. Uh, how about a parateacher? You know, it's a teacher's aide, someone that comes alongside of a teacher and helps them. And so that's what the word uh, has to do with. And here, the word Paracleo means to beg, to call alongside in order to help or give aid. Paul says, I want to beg you to listen to me and to what I have to say. And then we come to the word therefore. And uh, this is uh, one of four therefores you have in the book of Romans. The therefore of commendation. Romans 3.20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there are, shall no flesh be justified in sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
And then you have the therefore of justification. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the therefore of affirmation. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then the therefore of dedication, and that's where we are here in chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore. Now, again, you've heard this before, and I'm going to say it again. If you see the word therefore, you find out what it's there for. All right? Because we are saved, because we are justified, and we are secure in Christ, we're going to get a glorified body. Uh, We're more than conquerors and are to be devoted to the Lord. Someone has said that Americans attend church at least three times in their lives. It's when they are hatched, when they are matched, and when they are dispatched. The first time, they throw some water in some churches. The second time, they throw some rice. And then the third time, they throw dirt. So three times, most Americans will at least go to church three times. When they're hatched, when they're matched, and when they're dispatched. And as Christians, we're not to follow that pattern. But we're to be sold out to the Lord and to be faithful to Him throughout our entire lives. Going to church three times is not enough. It's hardly enough three times a week. Paul addressed this issue in the next part of verse 1. Notice, secondly, the presentation of the body. He says here in verse 1, By the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, God's mercies are his affections. God's mercies are his salvation, his propitiation, his exoneration, his reconciliation, his justification, his confirmation, his glorification, and his resurrection of our bodies. Those are a lot of, uh, a lot of $64 words right there, uh, but uh, they have a lot of meaning to them. Because of his mercies, we're to present our bodies to him. The phrase, present your bodies, is from the word which means to put at disposal or to offer. It's used in Romans 6.13, it's translated there as yield. The word present means a once-for-all decisive action. We are to present our bodies once and for all. Once and for all to the Lord, just as a bride and a groom are to present themselves to once, uh, once and for all to one another. The word bodies indicates our whole being as well as our physical beings. Now, the question would be, why should we present our bodies? Well, there are several reasons here. Number one, it is bought by the Lord. We read in 1 Corinthians 7.23, You are bought with a price. Be not ye servants of men. It is bought by the Lord. Secondly, it is bought with a great price. 1 Peter 1.18 and 19 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold for your vain conversation, or from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, 
but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Number three, since we've been bought, it's not our own. 1 Corinthians 6.19 What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? And then number four, your body is the temple or the home of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 17 Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? Number five, your body is to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 6.20, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, we glorify God by fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. We glorify Him by worshiping Him, by loving Him, by obeying Him, by serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We glorify Him by becoming like Christ and bringing pleasure and joy to the Lord. Number six, your body is to magnify Christ. First, or Philippians 1.20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. We also read in 2 Corinthians 4.10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. <clears throat> Number seven, your body is to be disciplined and under control. First Corinthians nine twenty seven. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself shall be a castaway. And then number eight, it will be changed when Christ returns. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one and fifty two. Behold, I show you a mystery: we shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And so Paul tells us that we are to present our bodies. And these are reasons why we are to present our bodies. Now he goes on to tell us just how to present our bodies. And he lists three ways. First of all, present your body as a sacrifice. We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, not dead sacrifices. You see, only Christians can present their bodies as living sacrifices. We are a royal priesthood that can offer our spiritually alive bodies to the Lord. An unbeliever cannot do this because an unbeliever is spiritually dead. Unsaved people try to present their bodies to God and sometimes, uh, but their efforts are considered filthy. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Romans 8, 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And so presenting your body as a living sacrifice is the key to victory and joy. Most people try to get all they can from God. But the key to satisfaction and happiness is to give yourselves and all that you are and all that you have to the Lord. God wants us 
most of all. 2 Corinthians 8.5 says, And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. You see, God wants a 100% commitment. There's a difference between involvement and commitment. When you get up in the morning and have a nice breakfast of ham and eggs, you know the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. There's a difference between involvement and commitment. Now, how does a person present their body as a living sacrifice? Well, we are to have consecrated ears. Now, it's wonderful to have ears, isn't it? They hold up my glasses. <laughs> you know what? An ear is capable of catching 73,700 vibrations per second, whether it is the rumble of the distant thunder like we heard this afternoon, or the buzz of a fly, or a mosquito, or the soft whisper of a sleeping baby's breathing. Of all the organs in the body, the inner ear demands the most bodily energy. Attentive listening can be a draining experience. So God made the ears go all, uh, uh, have all the necessary power to carry out this important task. If we're going to present our bodies to God, then we need to be willing to listen to Him. We need to be willing to listen to Him first. And if someone is deaf, at least have a listening attitude. Now, if some of us are going deaf, and we wish we could hear as well as we did when we were younger, right? But I think about the people who were over at the Blues Festival last night. I could hear it at my house, and I can't imagine what those people were listening to. They all went away from here needing to go to the hearing aid place and get a hearing aid because they certainly can't hear anything now. But listening is so important that the ear is the first organ to function in the womb and the last to quit functioning at death. Now why do we struggle to listen to the Lord? Well, it's because we are disobedient to the Lord sometimes. Matthew seven twenty six and every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Another reason why we struggle at listening is because we get distracted. We talked about that this morning in our our message on Nehemiah. Being distracted. Second Timothy 4, 4 says, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. We become discouraged and doubtful. We question if God's way will work or we are weak in our faith. When this happens, we tend not to pay attention to the Lord. And then we're disillusioned with the messenger. You know, some people will not listen to God's messenger, whether a parent or a pastor or a teacher, because they become bitter toward the messenger, and they make excuses because of the weaknesses of the messenger. When the messenger does, does speak louder 
than his words. And so the focus on the messenger, they focus on the messenger and not the message. Many times poor listeners are as a result of seldom hearing a good sermon. So where are we, what are we to do with our ears? Well, our ears should be aimed toward the Lord. Proverbs 4.20, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Our ears should be applying truth. Proverbs 23.12, Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. And our ears are to be attentive to the word of God. Proverbs 5 and verse 1 says, My son, attend to my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding. And then we need to be attentive to the cry of the poor. Proverbs 21, 13, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself and should not be heard. And so we are to have consecrated ears. We're also to have controlled eyes. It's amazing how the eye can flash with indignation. Or it can kindle with enthusiasm. Or it can expand with devotion. It can melt with sympathy. It can stare with fright. It can droop with sadness. It can pale with envy. Inflame with revenge. Twinkle with glee. Beam with love. Frown with wrath. And contract with pain. An amazing As our eyes are, there's a danger that we shall be blind to the gold in the common clay of humanity, blind to the opportunities of service, blind to our responsibilities in the Lord's work, blind to the harvest fields at our doors, blind to the things that matter most, blind to the warnings that pop up in our lives, blind to those who are hurting. You know, there's a great deal of temptation that comes through our eyes. And to abstain from looking at that which is sinful takes discipline. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then shall I think upon a maid? How often the eyes are made the sewer channels that carry pollution and the garbage into our souls. You know, Satan's tactic in Eden was to persuade Eve to look on or gaze upon forbidden fruit and her desires grew and the fixation got stronger her reasoning became distorted she forgot her priorities and her perception became clouded the look eventually became the lust now what should our eyes be well first of all they should be single they should be focused and have a singleness of purpose we should not be double-minded. Matthew 6.22, The light of the eye, the body is the eye, and therefore if thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Our eyes should be set upon the Lord. Psalm 121, 1 and 2, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And our eyes should be sharing and self-sacrificing. Proverbs 22.9, He that had a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. And then thirdly, we should have a clean heart. Now we're to have consecrated ears, we're to have to controlled eyes, but we're to have a clean heart. The heart, the symbol of our hidden inner life and mind, is the source of all of our behavior. The heart represents our thought life. The heart must be right if the life is to be right. 
can only be right if it is cleansed by the precious blood of Christ and indwelt and controlled by the Holy Spirit and the heart determines what we are and what we do. Jeremiah shows why we need a new heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful and above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And our prayer should be as David's David's concerning the heart. Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So we have consecrated ears, controlled eyes, clean hearts, and then thirdly, we're to have, fourthly, we're to have a cautious mouth. God wants us to give our mouths to Him. You know, our mouths can get us into major trouble. You know it just as well as I do, don't we? We can get ourselves in big, big trouble by something that we say. But evil speech is a sure indication of an evil heart. Solomon urges us to put away evil speech. Uh, We could look at many, 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 many passages tonight on this subject. And the great majority of them will come from the book of Proverbs. Our tongues should be testifying. Our tongues should be tamed. Our tongues should be truthful. They are to be a tonic to others. They are to be tender. And they are not to be tail-bearing. They are not to be tearing others down or tooting our own horn. We are to give our mouth to the Lord. And so we're to have a cautious mouth. Number five, we're to have committed feet. Our feet are committed to be committed and yielded to the Lord. They're to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. They're to be stable with the help of the Lord. They should not be moved. And they should be seemly. Beautiful uh, Romans uh, chapter 10 tells us, Beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel and bring glad tidings. And then we're to have clean hands. God says our hands are to be disinfected or clean, speaking of what we do. You know, our actions usually are done with our hands. It's not too much that we can't do without our hands. And so when one hand or arm gets broken or injured, we just, we just struggle around, don't we? But as long as we have both hands, we can get our work done. We can do the things we need to do. And they need to be clean hands. We need to determine to do our best with our hands and be diligent or consecrated. And so these are just a few ways in which we can present our bodies as a sacrifice. But then he goes on to say, present your body as sanctified. We're not only to present our bodies as a sacrifice, but also sanctified. We're to be holy, it says here. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, which means to be set apart for God. We're not to do that which is bad because our bodies are to be set apart for God. We're not only to be holy, that's holy or totally given to the Lord. We're to present our bodies as a sacrifice, as sanctified And then also present your body as suitable. That's what it means by when it says acceptable to God. The word acceptable also means well-pleasing, approved, satisfactory. When you get married, you don't commit six days to your spouse and one day to another person. That would not be acceptable. 
That would not be satisfactory. That would not be well-pleasing. Let me just suppose that you have a 1,000 acres of land. This here represents 1,000 acres of land. I don't know how many acres it is, but it's going to represent 1,000 acres of land. And someone approaches you and makes you an offer to buy your farm. You agree to sell the land except for one acre right in the middle, right in the center of your land with provisions of a right-of-way. Do you know that the law would allow you to have access to that one lone spot in the middle of a thousand acres? You could build a road all across the remainder of the farm just to get to that one small plot of ground. And so it is with Christians who make less than a hundred percent surrender to the Lord. You can be sure the devil will make an inroad across the person's life to reach the unsurrendered portion. And if he does, the person's testimony for Christ will be ruined. Let me ask you, does your life please the Lord? Does he approve of the way you're living? Is your lifestyle acceptable to him? Presenting your body as a living sacrifice is to be reasonable. The word reasonable is from the word which means logic or logical or agreeable to reason. It's used in another place in the Bible, and that is in 1 Peter 2.2, where it's translated of the word. Reference to desiring the milk of the word. And God does not pressure us or force his will upon us. But spiritual service for him is to be a willing service. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, your willing service. Forceful service leads to rebellion, resentment, and resigning. And we have seen the plea of the brethren, the presentation of the body... But then thirdly, notice the pressure of the battle. The pressure of the battle. Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but ye be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now the phrase, be not conformed, refers to the act of a person assuming an outward behavior that does not come from within him. It does not express the heart of the person. Conforming to the world is, in essence, hypocrisy. Now, the word hypocrisy is from a word uh, that means to play the part, to answer back. When you go on stage and you do a play, in acting, you get your cue and you say the right thing at the right time, if everything goes right, right? <laughs> if you don't forget your line. You say the right thing at the right time. In everyday life, it's being something you are not. It has the idea, uh, hypocrisy has the idea of being unstable. And we're not to be pressured into the mold of this world. We are to be what God wants us to be. Paul says, be not conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. means we're not to be conformed or fashioned to this world's philosophies or opinions or impulses or greed or sinful lifestyles. Instead, we're to be transformed. The word transformed describes a change from within, an attitude which leads to change in behavior. Again, it's interesting how the Greek word helps us to understand this. The word metamorpho comes from meta, means across, and morphe, which means form, means to change across on form to another. Now, in biology, 
Remember, metamorphosis comes from this world. It comes from this word, I should say. The word of God and yielding the Holy Spirit will transform your mind and change your life. We're to yield to the Holy Spirit's control. Now, if the word controls your thinking and your lifestyle, you are a conformer. If the Let me say this again. If the world controls your thinking and your lifestyle, you are a conformer. If God controls your life, you're a transformer. And the kids all said, yay, I'm a transformer. I want to be a transformer. Especially the boys who like transformers. Some kids might think that's pretty cool. But if the world controls you, you're a conformer. But if God controls you, you're a transformer. And then fourthly, look with me at the proving of God's blueprint. Verse 2. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now what does the word Paul mean by the word prove? This word means to put to the test for the purpose of approving, to test, to examine, to scrutinize, to see whether a thing is genuine or not. And many times refers to metals like gold or silver or some kind of metal. But a Christian is to be very concerned about the will of God in his life because God's will is to be good, acceptable, and perfect. And when we are unconcerned about God's good, acceptable, and perfect will, there is going to be a gap. There's going to be a gap. There's going to be a breaking your fellowship between you and the Lord. And for this reason, the will of God should be a high priority for each one of us. When you present your body to the Lord, you should be willing and able to do God's will for your life. If you're willing to do God's will, he will show it to you. And when he does, then do it instead of fighting it. It's interesting, I thought about that word gap. Some people say, you know, when you see gap clothing, here's what you're to think. God answers prayer. Now, I, it probably stands for something completely different than that because it's a, it's a, it's a worldly... Um, and some, and some definitions, there are a lot of definitions of that. But when you see it, maybe you should think God's answer answers prayer. I know that that's been uh, used around camp. But I, I, I propose another thought when you see gap. Good, acceptable, perfect. Good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And so we have here a plea to the brethren. And that's those of us tonight who are saved. Know Jesus Christ is our Savior. We are to present our bodies. And yes, there's going to be a pressure of the battle that we are involved in as believers. But we are then to prove God's blueprint. His good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Again, this is a couple of verses here that we're very familiar with, but perhaps there are some things you've been reminded of tonight. Maybe there are some things you didn't realize. 
concerning these verses. I trust that they've been a blessing and a help to us tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Romans, and we thank you, Lord, for uh, these two wonderful verses that have been often quoted to us, and many of us have it memorized. Lord, we pray we don't just memorize it, but we actually live it. That we present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice that will be wholly acceptable unto you because it's our reasonable, our willing service. And every one of us knows as Christians we are facing the battles day by day. We have all age groups here tonight. And if there's someone here that uh, knows Jesus Christ, and we have perhaps most here tonight that know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they know that there's a battle. They're going to face a battle before they even leave this building. They're going to face a battle as they go out of this building. They're going to face the battle as they go into this week, whether it be at camp or whether it be uh, at the workplace, at home. There's the pressure of the battle that the world wants us to conform to it instead of being transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, tonight that we'll put to test the things that are put before us and test them by your word. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to hearts tonight, even as we close this service tonight. I pray, Lord, that our lives will be that which honor and glorify you, and we go out of this place ready to serve you and and honor you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.